My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition. Doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 35th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think is often unfamiliar to 21st century Christ followers, yet has profound implications for mental and spiritual health in the Christian life. The topic for today is God representations, drawn from the secular psychology literature, which includes both an emotional experience of God called the God image and a cognitive knowledge of God called the God concept. To begin today's journey, I think several salient questions are important to consider for 21st century Christ followers. What are God representations? What is a God image? What is a God concept? How are they different? And what are their ingredients? Can they be positive, negative? How stable are they? And how do they develop? As God representations, how do God image and God concept relate to mental and spiritual health? What are some interventions to improve the God image and God concept? What, if anything, does the Bible say about a God image or a God concept? How might, from a Christian perspective, improving our God representations, including both the God image and God concept, help us to relate better to psychological and spiritual suffering? And lastly, what might classic Christian spiritual writings have to say about the topic? So before offering a personal story, I'd like to provide a few interesting quotes to get us started today. According to the 20th century psychoanalytic author Anna Maria Rizzuto, quote, there's no such thing as a person without a God representation. She goes on to powerfully declare, quote, when dealing with the concrete fact of belief, it is important to clarify that conceptual and emotional differences between the concept of God and the images of God, which combined in multiple forms, produce the prevailing God representation in a given individual at a time. The concept of God is fabricated mostly at the level of secondary process thinking. This is the God of the theologians, the God whose existence is debated by metaphysical reasoning. But this God leaves us cold. 
The philosophers and mystics know this better than anyone else. The God, this God is only the result of rigorous thinking about causality or philosophical premises. Even someone who believes intellectually there, the, that there must be a God may feel no inclination to accept him unless images of previously interpersonal experiences, experiences have fleshed out the concept with multiple images that can now coalesce in a representation that he can accept emotionally. Turning to Christianity, the 20th century Christian writer and pastor A.W. Tozer noted, quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper enter- entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more equivalent than her speech. Finally, in Proverbs 3, 5-6, we famously read, quote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So as these quotes from authors and scripture reveal what we believe about God, whether drawing upon a more cognitive or emotional understanding, has far-reaching implications for the human life which we'll be discussing in this podcast episodes. In other words, why might a committed, devout Christian struggle so much to feel God's love and safety and presence and the like, despite studying their Bible daily, attending church service weekly, and trying so desperately to know more about God with their God-given frontal lobe? What might the secret of the psalmist be when he famously declared, quote, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. How can we as 21st century Christ followers begin to be content in God's presence, like a weaned child, based on our God representations? How can we learn to trust in and find a deeper sense of safety in God's providential care, which extends to all of creation, even our moment-by-moment experiences as we walk with him step-by-step to our final destination, eventually being face-to-face with him in heaven. So I think a greater awareness and improvement of our God representations, including the God image and God concept distinction, can help us to do so, which I'll be humbly tackling in this episode. So to turn now to a quick personal story, ever since my parents divorced in my adolescent years, I've struggled with my image of God. Although I have a positive God concept, which is really my head knowledge of God derived from a thorough reading and trust in scripture as infallible and God's word as divinely inspired, 
I've really struggled with my heart knowledge of God and emotional connection with God, a deeper emotional experience of God. Regarding my head knowledge, indeed, I've learned early on about God's attributes, what we might call the four omnis. So God is omnibenevolent or infinitely good and loving, omniscient or infinitely wise, omnipotent or infinitely powerful, and omnipresent or everywhere at once. Of course, there are other attributes of God, such as His holiness, and theologians have organized God's attributes into a variety of different overarching categories. Yet, from a young age, I can remember learning about God as infinitely good, wise, powerful, and present. This head knowledge, though, often isn't enough to experience on a more intimate level the presence of God and trust and find safety and comfort in who He is and His availability during moments of need. Therefore, over the years, I've been really envious of fellow Christians who have a childlike faith and and deeper trust and emotional bond with God, including His goodness and love and providential care, which they see in all of life so easily, so effortlessly. Again, childlike faith, which is a good thing. For me, though, I've struggled to trust in God on a deeper level, likely because I felt severely betrayed by my earthly father growing up, who professed to be a Christ follower, yet left my mother, brother, and I during my adolescent years when I needed him the most. Really, what was concrete for me was then projected on to the abstract. The real relationship in my life of a caregiver I depended on, I now project onto God. I can remember one evening in middle school knowing that my dad would be moving out the next morning. As he sat on his bed watching television in a stoic manner, I came in and pleaded with him to stay, telling him I needed him and my life would be ruined if he left. Yet he just stared at the TV, unwilling or unable to respond to his son's emotional pain. I can still vividly remember this image even to this day, which included my thoughts that my life was over, my feelings, including an overwhelming sadness for the loss of a father in the home, in my home, and anxiety about how this would impact the rest of my life, and a shame given I felt tremendously rejected. So in my adult years, I've still had this internalized experience of my earthly father's rejection, which I, because I'm a fallen, imperfect human being, often project onto God. For me, the idea of a God image has helped me to really understand how I could, on one hand, know what the Bible says about God's attributes and actions and promises and the grand narrative and overarching theme of Scripture and and God's plan for humankind, yet have a deeper feeling that God, at times, is distant, does not love me, and does not have my best intentions in mind. If the God image develops based on our experiences with other humans, especially caregivers we rely on early in life to get our needs met, it makes sense that, despite our reading of the Bible and all the commentaries I've read over the years and could get my hands on, I still struggle to surrender to God's providential care on a deeper emotional level. So with this story in mind, which may or not resemble some of your own relational experiences with God and others and the connection there in a fallen, broken world, 
Let's now turn to some of the newer insights from secular psychology, which I think can help 21st century Christ followers to really make sense of why, on an abstract level, we know these things about God, but on a deeper emotional level, we struggle to feel his closeness and connection. In the secular psychology um, literature, and more specifically, the secular psychological study of religion and spirituality, the study of what has been referred to as God representations has really grown in popularity over the last three or four decades. These God representations include a God image and a God concept. And so we have a factual cognitive understanding of God, the God concept, and an experiential, emotional understanding of him, the God image. We can think of the God image as a deep, affective, experiential understanding of God that begins to form in childhood based on powerful, regular relational experiences with caregivers. What we might refer to as heart knowledge, our heart knowledge of God. The God concept, on the other hand, captures our head knowledge about God based on what we learn about him and our local church, popular Christian writings, theological sources, the Bible, and so on and so forth, among other cognitive, language-based, factual sources. So, over the years, psychologists have been especially interested in how these two concepts, as God representations, relate and how they develop and how they are linked to mental, relational, and spiritual health. So many psychologists of religion have been trying to make better sense of God concepts, God image, and images and how they relate and how one is really head knowledge and one is heart knowledge. In terms of definitions, although the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology doesn't define God image per se, it does define image, which is, quote, a likeness or cognitive representation of an earlier sensory experience recalled without external stimulation. For example, remembering the shape of a horse or the sound of a jet airplane brings to mind an image derived from earlier experiences with these stimuli. So how might we form a God image if we don't have a direct sensory experience of God? Well, earlier on in life, our caregivers are at the center. And although we don't have an understanding of God, we have an understanding of caregivers. And eventually, these experiences are internalized and become the God image. So if we apply this understanding to the image of God, it's a representation based on earlier experiences. To adequately define and measure the image of God, in the late 90s, Richard Lawrence did just that, developing the God image inventory, which is a widely used measure for researching the God image. This inventory from Lawrence was inspired, at least in part, by the writings of Anna Maria Rizzuto, a psychoanalytic author who wrote the now famous book, The Birth of the Living God. In it, she argued that our God image forms an early life, often based in part on the influences of caregivers, and has a profound impact on ourselves, our relationships with others, and how we see the world. With the God image inventory, the God image is defined as, quote, a psychological working internal model of the sort of person that the individual imagines God to be. 
It's based on uh, storied memories and experiences of the relational surround of our relationships. And of course, because we cannot experience God directly via the senses in the same way we can other real-world relationships, we draw upon human relationships to, in turn, make sense of God, often drawing upon our experiences with one or more caregivers, such as a mother and father, with additional contributions from ourselves to form an internalized image of who God is to us. For Lawrence, this image is in contrast to the God concept, which is a sort of dictionary account of who God is, based on adjectives and descriptions of God, really more of a language-based cognitive understanding. So the God image inventory developed has six dimensions or subscales organized around three themes, themes of belonging, themes of goodness, and themes of control. For the belonging theme, there's a presence dimension with the most important question of, is God there for me? As well as a control dimension with the question of, does God want me to grow? For the goodness theme, there's an acceptance dimension with the question of, am I good enough for God to love me? As well as a benevolence dimension with the question of, Is God the sort of person who would want to love me? Finally, with the control theme, there's an influence dimension with the question of how much can I control God? As well as a providence dimension with the question of how much can God control me? So these six themes, I'm sorry, these six dimensions flowing from the three themes of belonging, goodness, and control, form the God image image inventory. With higher scores positively linked to things like more frequent church attendance and more mature relations with God. We also have the God concept, which has been measured with, at least historically, the God adjective checklist. And it captures a variety of adjectives used to cognitively understand God. Within the traditional Christian list of adjectives within the God adjective checklist, God is described as, among other adjectives, absolute, all-wise, comforting, faithful, forgiving, gracious, holy, infinite, just, kind, loving, Merciful, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, patient, protective, and so on. So we have the God image, a deeper, more emotional, more relational experience of God. And then we have this cognitive God concept, which is sort of fact-based, language-based, reliant often on adjectives to describe who, who God is, a head knowledge in contrast with a heart knowledge. To dig a bit deeper into the psychological ingredients of the God image and God concept, some psychologists have attempted to define them with more precision. So for the God image, according to secular psychologists, this develops unintentionally based on life experiences. It's a deeper, often unconscious, relational and emotional experience of God, referred to as heart knowledge. And it takes place through experiential learning, especially our repeated, 
powerful interactions with important people, including caregivers, early in life and then throughout life. And it's right brain dependent. The God concept, on the other hand, also according to secular psychologists, it includes our beliefs about God, God's traits or attributes, how God interacts with humankind, or at least our belief about that. So, such as our understanding of God's thoughts and feelings and behaviors and how we interact with God, our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors about this interaction. The God concept develops intentionally based on sources of knowledge, access through Sunday school, the Bible, Christian writings, and teachers, and so on and so forth. So overall, the development of the God concept is intentional, based on left-brain activity, driven by our conscious, theological understanding, and head knowledge of God. So we may attribute a variety of adjectives to God based on this God concept, such as those mentioned previously in the God adjective checklist. So to summarize these ingredients... The God image is reliant upon right brain activity, heart knowledge, and an emotional understanding of God. It develops based on experiential learning. It operates on the unconscious implicit level, and it's really nonverbal. On the other hand, the God concept is reliant upon left brain activity. It's a head knowledge and a cognitive understanding of God. It develops based on intentional learning. It operates on a conscious and explicit level, and it's verbal. So with these definitions and, de- definitions and ingredients in mind, let's now turn to research on the relationship between God representations, in- including God image and God concept, and mental health, along with interventions to improve God representations. So for the last several decades, researchers and theorists in secular psychology have suggested that our God image gradually develops in life based on how we've historically experienced others, including caregivers in childhood and romantic partners as we move into adulthood. If this is the case, our God image and God concept may consist or not, I'm sorry, may be consistent or not with one another. So, for example, we might have a head knowledge that God is infinitely loving and good, but our heart knowledge suggests we don't feel God's love for us personally. This might also be the case with, for example, God's presence. We maybe know cognitively that he's everywhere at once, omnipresence, but we don't feel his presence in our life personally. So we may have a positive God image and a positive God concept, or we may have a negative God image and a negative God concept, or some combination, such as a negative God image and a positive God concept, which explains why Christians can be so conflicted in our relationship with God. I know what the Bible says, I just don't feel it in my personal relationship with God. So ideally, Christian adults who want to apply Scripture to all of life and recognize and follow God, who resides at the center of existence, will have a healthy, accurate, and positive image and concept of God. In research I conducted with several colleagues among Christian adults, I found that a positive concept of God's providential care was correlated with a deeper emotional experience of his providential care. In a separate study, benevolent God representations were negatively linked 
to psychological symptoms such as anxiety. In yet one more study, positive beliefs about God as benevolent were negatively linked to social anxiety, paranoia, and obsessive-compulsive symptoms. So what we're seeing here is that uh, in some research, the God concept is positively related to the God image. And in other research, we find that uh, different God representations that are positive are negatively correlated with psychological symptoms. So as positive God concepts and God images go up in terms of people endorsing items on measures, symptoms they report go down. In terms of interventions to change and improve God image, recent research has revealed that our God image can actually change via both cognitive interventions and Christian meditation, which is more of a relational intervention. In a pilot study published in 2011, researchers examined the effects of an eight-week group therapy intervention to improve Christian's God image, with participants reporting on an emotional level experiencing God as more accepting and supportive and intimate and less disproving, disapproving, harsh, and distant. The results also revealed that participants reported closing the gap between their God image and God concept meaning their positive image of God after the intervention more closely aligned with their theologically anchored, based on the Bible, concept of God. And within this study, it's worth noting participants received a range of interventions, including being educated on God representations, including what the God image and God concept mean and how they develop, as well as writing a fictional letter from the real God of the Bible to the participant and a God image automatic thought record as another intervention. And so just to provide a bit more detail with the God image automatic thought record, participants are encouraged to identify several thinking errors that may lead to a negative God concept and or God image, such as mind reading or thinking God believes something negative about the Christian without any evidence from the Bible, or fortune telling, which is really the Christian thinking they know for sure God, God will cause something negative to happen in the future without evidence from the Bible. Once these automatic, unhelpful thoughts are identified, Christians are encouraged to actually write down how God actually sees them based on what's recorded in God's Word, the Bible. Such as changing the statement, I just know God hates me and sees me as worthless, to I was created in God's image, consistent with Genesis 1.27. And God loved me so much that he gave his son for me, consistent with John 3.16. And so the purpose of this exercise is really to change Christians' unhelpful, often inaccurate and human-derived thoughts of what God actually says in the Bible to close the gap between the God image and God concept and recognize that our thoughts have a huge impact on our feelings. Over time, the idea is to draw from God's Word, the Bible, not our own fallen human mind, to begin to see God as infinitely loving, wise, powerful, and present, which can, hopefully, improve our feeling that God is loving us, offering us His wisdom, and having the power to carry it through. Also, in a pilot study I published with two other authors in 2017, we examine the effect of an eight-week group therapy intervention using Christian meditation and contemplation 
such as formally reciting the Jesus Prayer in silence and solitude for 20 minutes a day, with the Jesus Prayer as, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, or gently reciting a prayer word such as surrender in silence and solitude for 20 minutes a day. And this was for Christians with chronic worry. After the conclusion of the study, we saw a positive change in the God image, with participants having a more positive emotional experience of God's providence or protective care and good governance over all of creation. So to summarize here, the secular psychology literature on God representations, including our God image or heart knowledge and God concept or head knowledge, play a powerful role in our psychological and spiritual functioning. When both are positive, Christians may have a healthier psychological and spiritual life, given the head and heart are working together, viewing God as loving and present and caring for them on the roads of life, which can, in turn, have a positive impact on their ability to love God and others, the two greatest commandments in the Christian life, according to Jesus in the Gospels. Yet when both the God image and God concept are negative, or when there's a gap between the two because the Christian has an accurate head knowledge about God, but a negative heart knowledge because of earlier relational experiences of abuse, neglect, and so forth, interventions can help to close this gap. For Christians, since the God concept comes from the Bible as as God's special revelation, we can maintain an accurate understanding of who he is as infinitely loving and good, wise, powerful, and present by reading our Bible and meditating on his word. With our God image, we can spend more time with him via meditation and contemplation. And in doing so, we're closing the gap between our head knowledge and heart knowledge so that we can both know him and experience him which can work simultaneously so that we have an authentic, vibrant, and real, not just memorized or abstract, experience of him and his goodness in all of life, including our inner and outer world and our relationships. So with this understanding in mind, let's now turn to what Christianity has to say about the topic. So although the Bible does not use the language of contemporary secular psychology of religion to capture God representations, we do have an understanding of who God is, how he sees us, and our relationship with him based on what he's revealed to us in the pages of the Bible. According to Christianity, God is infinitely loving and good, wise, powerful, and present, and his providence or good governance and protective care extends to all of creation. Also, God created humankind with both thoughts and emotions, which should work hand in hand in our relationship with him. In other words, all Christians, from my perspective, should want to close the gap between our God image and God concept so that we're not only having an abstract knowledge of God's infinite goodness, wisdom, power, and presence, but have a deeper, more heartfelt experience of God in our actual life, not merely a cognitive endeavor. Although we may have a range of negative thoughts about God, how we believe God sees us, and our relationship with Him, we can turn to the Bible to improve our God concept. And, coupled with spending more time with Him by engaging in Lexio Divina or divine reading, a monastic centuries-old practice within contemplative Christianity that focuses on reading the Bible, 
meditating on the Bible, praying to God, and contemplating who God is in simplicity and silence. By using this, Lexio Divina, I think we can improve our God image. So negative thoughts we have about our relationship with God may include things like, I just can't do anything right in the eyes of God. God thinks I'm a complete and total failure. God believes I'm less valuable than other people. God thinks I'm unlovable. I'm ugly, broken, and flawed in God's eyes. God has abandoned me or is ignoring me because I'm so defective. I'm such a sinful person in God's eyes that he won't forgive me. And Jesus died for other people's sins, not mine, because I'm unworthy of his love, compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. On the other hand, beliefs about God, how God sees us, and our relationship with him, coming directly from the Bible, may include, I was created in God's image, drawing upon Genesis 1.27. God values my heart, not my outward appearance reliant upon 1 Samuel 16, 7. I was fearfully and wonderfully made by God, reliant on Psalm 139, 13 through 14. I'm a new creation in Christ, consistent with 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When I feel weak, God's grace is enough for me, reliant on 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I have a strength because of Jesus' power, consistent with Philippians 4.13. I'm called to put on the new self in order to be righteous and holy, reliant upon Ephesians 4.24. God loves me to the point of sacrificing Jesus for me, consistent with John 3.16. So overall, Christians for millennia have believed that the Bible accurately captures God's infinite love, goodness, wisdom, power, presence, compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness, which God has generously revealed to us via divine revelation, the Bible, and we can meditate on and contemplate on God to close the gap between our heart and head knowledge. Left to ourselves, we would never be able to understand these attributes, actions, and promises of God. Yet, he chose to reveal himself to us because he loves us and wants to have an intimate, stable, safe, trusting relationship with us. In terms of classic Christian spiritual writings, I believe the monastic, centuries-old practice of Lexio Divina, Latin for divine reading, can help us to close the gap between our head knowledge or God concept of who God is who we are before God and our relationship with him and our heart knowledge or God image, given we're moving from reading to meditating to praying to contemplating. With reading, we're slowly absorbing scripture, like taking an initial bite out of food. Next, we're meditating on scripture, pondering it like we're chewing food. Third, we're praying to God, interacting with him as a personal God in relationship with us, like we're tasting food, and contemplating in simplicity, silence, and stillness, downplaying the use of words or images, and instead just basking and resting in his loving presence like savoring food. 
From my perspective, as we anchor ourselves to scripture and slow down to move from biting to chewing to tasting to savoring, I believe we can begin to close the gap between our God concept and God image, moving from the head to the heart, from chewing to savoring. Really internalizing God's word and moving from chewing to savoring so we can rest in it and have a deeper, more experiential, more relational interaction with who God is found in Scripture. So let's now enter into a short practice in order to, inspired by Lexio Divina, move from the head to the heart so that we can close the gap between our God concept and God image. So in this concluding exercise, inspired by the four steps of Lexio Divina, we're going to read Psalm 145 slowly in order to practice really focusing on who God is, moving from the head to the heart, including God's promises. And when you notice that your mind has shifted towards other thoughts or feelings, maybe sensations, memories, or images, Simply return to the text. Along the way, notice all the trustworthy descriptions of God, powerful, loving, good, compassionate, and ponder them as an alternative to our own personally constructed thoughts and corresponding feelings. And so to conclude the exercise, we'll be selecting one sentence to meditate on, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So we'll be moving from reading to meditating to praying to contemplating. And again, whenever we notice our mind has wandered to difficult thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, or images about ourself or God or our relationship with him, just gently and compassionately return to the passage by quietly reciting it in our mind for a few minutes at a time. So to begin, drawing upon Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully proclaim your great deeds and sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might 
so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. He, the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now gently recite the passage, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has passion on all he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And after meditating on the passage, pray to God, asking him to stir up in your heart an awareness, a deeper experience and awareness of his loving compassion, since he is good to all even you in this very moment of silence and solitude. To conclude, simply recite the word compassion to capture God's compassion for you right now. God made you in his image to be in relationship with him, and you are incomplete without him. You are finite and dependent on him. And it's okay to reach for him and to cry out for his compassion. He gave his only son for you to reconcile you to him. And he continues to love you and sustain you, even right here and now. Compassion. Compassion. resting in solitude and silence in God's compassion by simply reciting in simplicity, silence, and reverence, compassion. Compassion. And to conclude this practice, say a short prayer to God, asking him to help you 
recite his word. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made to maintain a head and heart knowledge, working in unison of who he is, how he sees you, and your relationship with him. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. To conclude this podcast episode, according to the secular psychology of religion literature, we have a head knowledge or God concept and heart knowledge or God image, with the former coming from factual knowledge-based information we get from parents and Sunday school and the Bible and maybe the broader society, and the latter based on earlier experiences with caregivers. Since we cannot necessarily use the five senses to experience God like other humans, it makes sense that early in life, we began to look to our parents, caregivers, and so forth to form an internalized, deeper, emotion-laden experience of an image of God to draw from. Yet over time, because we live in a fallen, broken world, the gap between our God concept and God image can grow to the point that our abstract knowledge of God as infinitely, infinitely loving and good and wise and powerful and present and gracious and merciful and compassionate and forgiving may not match a deeper emotional experience of a God who maybe we experience as punitive, distant, harsh, abandoning, and uncaring because this was our experience of caregivers. When this gap grows, we can be more purposeful in spending time with God via Lexio Divina. So his word, the Bible, is internalized and we can grow both our head and heart knowledge, our abstract and experiential understanding of who he is. Overall, I believe Christian mental and spiritual health involves moving, I'm sorry, working to move from a negative God image and concept to a positive one, closing the gap along the way. In doing so, we can continue to be sanctified by him, empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk with the Son home to the outstretched arms of the Father. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider, consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms and join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.